Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today, we hear from Lorenzo Mielli, chief executive of Fremantle-owned scripted specialist, The Apartment, about the rise of Italian drama. And Craig Engler, general manager of AMC Networks-owned SVOD service Shudder, discusses the continued rise of horror. At the start of last year, as part of a reorganisation of Fremantle Italia, Wildside co-founder Lorenzo Mielli, whose credits include The Young Pope and My Brilliant Friend, launched The Apartment, a new production label designed to become an incubator for drama projects it can then package and take out to the international market. He spoke to Michael Picard about the firm's first year in operation, working on Call Me By Your Name director Luca Guadagnino's first TV series, and the reasons why Italy has become such a powerhouse on the global scripted scene. After having spent many years uh, within Fremantle in Italy, running on one hand Fremantle Italy, that is uh, an entertainment company mostly, and uh, and Wildside together with Mario Giannani, that has been growing a lot into the scripted world in the past uh, seven years. There, there was a moment when I thought that what, some of the things that I've done in the past five years were the one that I would have loved to spend more time on or... I would say my exclusively all the time that I have in order to 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 move forward, and and these things are the easiest way to put it is I've done uh, when I started the Young Pope uh, many years ago. Now it's I think six years or maybe five or six. I don't remember. But in any case, I I found a new model of many things, a new model of creating and 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 bringing into market TV shows on a bigger scale than the one compared to the one that I was used for the Italian local market. Market, a way of, let's say, inventing and putting together those shows. That's a process that I started exactly with that show. I decided to fully finance the development on my own because it was a very risky project in a way, a unique project. Paolo Sorrentino had never done a, a TV show before. It was the first step into the scripted world and um, who knew where we would have landed with that show. So I decided to, to risk a little bit, more than a little bit, and, and try to put together something that was different. And both on the creative side, but also on the business side. Not, not only because I didn't decide to, to attach or to set up this project with any studio, with any network, but also because I understood from the beginning that that kind of show would have been complicated to set up in a unique place, in, a, in just one place, but it would have been kind of an international co-production that now that then has become uh, more and more uh, frequent to see but uh, at that time it was more something that you you would you were um, used to see in the movie business uh, you know in, in the past two decades so where basically you keep the rights and you sell and you license to many territories to some very important players that basically fund the show and own part of the show but none of them is really the only owner of the show. It took a long time to, to fix this process, both creatively and, let's say, business-wise, but it was very successful on, on both sides. And so I thought, okay, that's that's something that is really interesting because of the, again, the ambition, the creative ambition and the business ambition of these kind of projects. So after that, we kept on doing with Wildside uh, the sequel, so the, the New Pope. Then my brilliant friend came in and, uh, and, and, and it has been done in the same way. 
and then we are who we are. So for these three shows have been very important for me for many different reasons to understand that this kind of projects would have been the, the kind of things that I was very interested to really work 100% on. And that's why I asked Fremantle to start up basically a new, a new entity, a new venture within the group, fully owned by the group, where, I, where I'm just the, the manager, the CEO of the company, fully focused on financing development of big scale projects, international projects. Some of them obviously with Italian IPs or, or big uh, names, but uh, I have to say that uh, the next step will be, and it's already, it already is working not only with Italian writers or directors or IPs. So any international project that can uh, start from uh, everywhere, uh, depending on the, the matter of it or, or what's, what really drives my interest into. And um, so that's what really, in a nutshell, what the, the apartment is about. It's a developer of projects. I spend time and money in developing movies and TV shows up to the moment when I think they are fully clear in terms of creative, in terms of uh, packaging, actors, directors, in terms of budget, and then I go and try to sell them. So, so yeah, so you're very much involved then in the, the development of the show. And I mean, are you, are you involved in the production as well? Or do you kind of find production partners then to go on and, and make the show? That, 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 that's a very um, good question because the, the model of the apartment, one of the easy things to understand for producers is that uh, once you have a project like uh, the one we just mentioned and you have if you have let's say two of those projects per year and you are fully involved in the execution of, of those shows you there is no time left for any other thing meaning that even if you have plenty of great ideas to develop the time that you can actually spend you meaning me as a person but also the, the team the development team that can spend on other projects, it becomes uh, less and less and less or, or even zero. So <clears throat> one of the things that I wanted to understand with this company is the possibility that we are experimenting, exploring, or working with other companies as partners for the execution of the show. So basically, most of them, we let's say we partner from the beginning, so also from the, the development phase, because I'm not talking about just you know giving a service, the, the, the physical execution of the project, whether it's a movie or it's a show. I'm really talking about producing partners, so producers like I am, that can really take care of the creative and the the execution at the same time and that the directors and the writers, the showrunners can relay on also on these producers. So my goal is to is to be a great co-producer rather than being a great producer. And and uh, I'm building around myself, or, um, I'm creating a network of productions of producers that I really get along with and work very well with. That I think and hope that can live for the apartment and for me it's always space for new projects to develop and and so i mean the three shows that you've mentioned that you've been working on uh, with wildside and now with the apartment they've got three really big names big directors big you know creative talents behind them how are you finding those talents and and how are you then uh, i guess in in the case of paolo and, and and luca guadagnino from we are who we are they're moving into tv for the first time so how are you partnering with them to you know realize their ambitions in television well that's something that really really drives me it's really an engine a creative engine that I have in, in 
in myself. And that's why, again, <clears throat> one of the reasons why I wanted to set up this new company is because I, I love to, I, I mean, I would love always, I, uh, my, uh, my aim is to try to do something that uh, I use a horrible word that it's always used, but um, in my case, it means something specific to be disruptive. So I thought in both cases, when I, when I first went to Paolo, I love these movies, uh, really, I, I think he's one of the greatest boys in, in, in international cinema ever. So I thought that he would have been great in, in, in not in doing a TV show, in uh, developing uh, in a longer form of narration, his tone and, and the way he creates characters and the way he plays with screenwriting and with, uh, with the storytelling. So that was the original idea. Then I, I actually went to him with, a, with an idea, with a specific idea of a project that turned out not to be the one he wanted. And he came back to me with, a, with another version of it, which was The Young Pope. And I have to say that basically the same thing happened with Luca because We Are Who We Are is a, is a project that I've been developing for four years. And it, uh, it started with an idea that I had at the beginning. I was re-watching Boys Don't Cry, the movie. And at the same time, I've, I had just watched at the time a, a YouTube video of an American dad that was telling the story of his child, very young, that was um, an M2F. And uh, what, what was parenting an M2F uh, uh, when, when, I mean, the kid was in the video was like eight years old or nine years old. So, or, or maybe no, maybe 11. So I basically thought, okay, there is something in that moment of life that everybody has gone through, which is adolescence, where fluidity is not a gender thing. It's like a, a, a real, a really the matter of the matters. And it also ref reflects, is reflected and reflects the sexual explosion of desire an identity. So I thought, okay, I want to do something about this. And, and my idea was to tell the story of, uh, of like in the, in, the, um, in the Boys Don't Cry movie of, uh, of uh, an F2M, uh, very young. Uh, um, and, and I was going into that direction. Then I met a writer uh, first, Paolo Giordano. I discussed this idea with him and then with Francesca Vignari. And, and, and Paolo came back to, to me with an idea that was very interesting, the idea of of these two teens, teenagers, friends. One was an F2M and, and the other one, the, the, her best friend, was um, very unsure, let's say, about his, uh, not, not his gender, but his, you know, sexual attitude and, and taste. And, and uh, given this, uh, let's say, private world they were living into, they, 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 they would have decided to, to become best friends and pretend they were a couple outside, like a, a straight couple for the rest of the world. I thought that was a great idea then with that we, we went to Luca and he twisted that idea again he first of all he found the idea interesting but he completely reworked that idea and brought many things into that and, and that's what it is uh, we are we are there's lots of themes going on in the show and I guess it's interesting as well from an outsider's point of view that it's about these teenagers kind of growing up in an American military base in Italy so you've got that whole arena which I don't think you see much of on, on TV I mean, can you tell us a bit about how that show was developed and then brought to Sky Italia and obviously HBO have shown it in the US now and, and the UK on the BBC 
as well. Can you just tell us a bit about how you brought those partners together on the show? Yeah, basically the experience that I had before on um, Paolo's projects and, and my brilliant friend was what drove me to think about it as an international co-production again. We developed the, the show, as I told you, for many, many years, for a long time. And then we, we arrived at the moment when we had scripts that we loved, all of us, producers, uh, Luca, the writers. So that's when we decided, okay, let's bring it outside. Let's see what they, how people will react. And the idea that Luca had, honestly, about the military base was really a game changer because before that, we were definitely wanting to, to do an American show, so, so to, to set the story in the US because in that culture, it's easier than in, 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 the, in the Italian one that is more, let's say, conservative to imagine uh, a certain freedom for, for that kind of research, individual research about identity. Uh, but at the same time, none of us was or is American. So there was something strange in this. And Luca had this idea. He, in a way, already did it with Call Me By Your Name, but in a totally different uh, scenario and arena. And the idea of a military base, of the military base, was interesting for many reasons. Obviously, many creative, because it, we had the chance to describe like a small and symbolic and in a way twisted version of, of America itself, but it all self-contained in this, uh, you know, within these walls in, in the base where some of the best and the worst things about America can be easily uh, depicted and where also this sort of constriction and, and uh, control and uh, oppression would have been very present in the story for our young uh, protagonist. And then uh, on the production side, it was interesting because we would have the chance to do the, 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 the show in Italy, but at the same time finding an American cast, but making it a European show, even if about America. Uh, so it, it was really, cons everything was consistent and uh, and we brought the script. First stop to Sky, first stop to HBO. They both loved it immediately and they jumped on it. And so then there was a matter of, obviously, of everything. Negotiation on one hand and at the same time of casting. Casting has been a long, long process. Luca is a great, I mean, he's one of the greatest casting uh, person of new talents and new, he found this incredible actors not only the not only the, for the two lead roles but also the whole mix of uh, cast is incredible and then we put the show together I mean are you planning on working with Luca again is there a season two in the works or how are you managing your relationships with these directors after their initial series are you looking to work with them again I guess in the future in general I hope so yes obviously every time it depends on you know uh, how I or them find themselves with me and vice versa in this case yes the answer is absolutely Yes, we're working on an idea of a possible uh, second season. And again, we are developing this idea on our own and then we'll share that with uh, HBO and Sky. Let's see how they react. And also on other possible projects. And as for Paolo, uh, we just finished, uh, we, after having done the Young Pope and the New Pope, uh, we just finished, he just finished, he just wrapped his new movie that we shot in Italy. With, and that's that has been the first 100% apartment production uh, it's a movie we've done for netflix i would say that's the next big thing and big appointment for the apartment we have um, obviously great great expectation and again in this case bringing paolo to netflix making a movie making a different complete different movie compared to the very important movie for paolo and so forth 
very different from many other movies he has done. Uh, I think it's going to be another small but big disruption in in in, uh, in, in a way that makes me feel um, excited about. It. It's been, I guess, a difficult year to to start a new company. So, I mean, how can you tell us, um, you know, some of the challenges you've faced over the year developing new material for the apartment, and what are kind of some of the things that you're taking into next year in terms of projects or productions that you hope to get off the ground? Well, yes, it. it it has been the craziest year ever, and the fact that my company has started on January, it made it even um, more crazy for me. On one hand, I have to say that uh, I couldn't have thought about a better name than the apartment because I've been working from my apartment all year long, but I, w- I was used to that before. That's one of the reasons why my company is called that way. At the same time, given that I started this company with the focus of developing new materials, a lot of them, it didn't impact so much because aside from the big important production that we've done with Paolo, this year was not supposed to be a year of production. And development is something that at least you can um, it's not so difficult to do in in uh, when you're closing an apartment or or you are in lockdown or you or, or you have to meet people on zoom the problem starts when you have to start to be you know think about or or you need to start shooting that's the biggest challenge we've dealt with that in an excellent way with uh, with the Paolo's movie but it, you know in a way it's i i think it's really hard for people that work uh, on a set uh, for creatives for directors for actors to work with with that pressure uh, and that uh, in a way dark pressure that it's you know goes around and around so I think uh, I hope obviously what everybody hopes that uh, we, we can be uh, over soon with this and uh, I know that everybody has been dealing with very complicated as we did with very complicated protocols and the protocols they do work actually so that's something very important but at the same time in the midterm because in the long term we all think uh, that uh, we're going to come back to normality and that's not going to be a problem anymore. In the midterm, I think um, we really need to be aware of uh, what we can shoot in these conditions, not only because of the difficulties of the protocols and the bubbles, but also because of the kind of projects you need, you can shoot and, and what you can't. So some delicate uh, or lighthearted project or where you need uh, some, some you know, light heart. It, I think, I mean, maybe it's too, it sounds naive to say that, but it's, they're more difficult to be shot this year than uh, probably in the following years. So we're currently starting shooting the, the, the new season of My Brilliant Friend. We are shooting another show for Amazon right now. But uh, in terms of what do I want to shoot in 2021, I need to, aside from, from the state of the art of the development, I also want to think about what's right to shoot and what's not in this uh, in these difficult times. Absolutely. So yes, that's interesting then that you're thinking about creative material that will fit your production yes. capabilities rather than writing the show and and then thinking, how do we do this? I mean, just generally, you know, My Brilliant Friend, I guess, is, is one of the flagship series that Italy has produced over the last few years and Italy is a real force now in international drama I mean what has changed do you think in Italy that means we're now seeing more Italian drama and and series generally internationally and and what do you think the country can produce next and and keep that trend going I think what has changed many things 
things, but the, mo- the two most important ones are one, the fact that I think we gave with Wildside a contribute to is the fact that we have many talented writer directors, so not just directors, but writer directors, and and most of them, if not 100% of them, until five years ago, they were only working in in the movie business, and now they, as everywhere else in the world, but I think we did it with some later than others. They understood that uh, doing TV shows is not uh, like a B version of what their of their previous job is is a complete new and sometimes even more creative and more free uh, arena of work. That has been a big change. That you know we've seen the 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 outcome of it uh, with our shows, with other shows, and uh, that's one. The other thing is that uh, it happened the same thing with writers. I think that we had a long story of uh, very mass market commercial soapish drama in our business and and but at the same time many of the writers that were stuck in that business were and are great writers so what happened is that people that has done done many years of work in in in, in bad television they learned a lot and they brought the good version of it into making uh, now good good shows so i think uh, what changed in a nutshell is the fact that we have now a great bunch of uh, writer directors and writers that are super willing to to bring new projects and that they don't think uh, local so they think uh, local or global Lorenzo Mielli talking to Michael Picard AMC Network's owned SVOD service Shudder specializes in horror and supernatural programming General Manager Craig Engler spoke to Karolina Kaminska for our C21 digital screening sci-fi and horror-themed season about how demand for the genre has been shaped by the coronavirus pandemic and why he thinks audiences will continue to seek out darker content post-COVID. So Shudder specialises in horror and supernatural content. So in your experience, how strong is demand for those genres at the moment and how has that demand changed in recent years? Sure, that's a great question. I think the demand for horror has never been stronger. There's a couple of things that have been going on. So probably I would say over the last five years, horror has been growing in popularity. Part of that is because there's been a new wave of films and filmmakers, you know, things like Get Out, which you're probably super familiar with, really, I think, kicked everything up a notch in terms of horror. But in general, horror is always a very popular genre. Two of the changes we've seen recently are there's been more and more horror on TV. So TV has never been the sort of traditional medium for horror. It's mostly been films and franchise films are what most people think about when they think of horror. And I think, you know, in the last five to 10 years, you've really seen more and more people exploring sort of longer form horror in the form of TV, right? So think of American Horror Story, you know, which has been running forever. Think of The Walking Dead. But also think of, you know, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix, right? That was, you know, a sort of self-contained single season anthology that really broke through because it was fascinating and it didn't really outstay its welcome, right? It's, it's A lot of these shows are designed in a way where you don't have to sustain a story artificially over X amount of time. They all have creative ways to keep telling stories in new forms. You know, American Horror Story does single season anthologies. We have something called Channel Zero on Shudder, which is also a single season anthology. So you've seen a lot of that. And at the same time, you've also seen a 
lot of interest in short anthologies. So for instance, we have Creepshow on Shudder. Creepshow is a TV series. Uh, the first season was six episodes. Each episode has two segments, and each segment is a self-contained horror story. And a long time ago, there used to be tons of horror anthologies out there, horror anthology shows, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now you have a resurgence in these sort of interest in short anthologies. At the same time, you're seeing interest in sort of long form. At the same time, you're seeing interest in movies in a way that people haven't been seeing the genre before. So those those things are all working together. And that was before COVID, right? And then once COVID hit, you found everybody was stuck at home looking for new forms of entertainment. Well, lo and behold, there's all these new things happening in horror that are just sitting there waiting for people to come find them. So that's what's been happening. We've already we've taken a genre that was already on the rise, already seeing more and more interest, and then doubling down with COVID. So those are a couple things that are going on. And then you also have this very interesting phenomenon of when people are experiencing something awful going on in the world, such as COVID, they often turn to horror as a way to watch inside of, in a, in a strange way, horror helps you get your anxieties out, right? You have this sort of pretend horrible situation, whether it's in a movie or a TV series, and then it gets resolved and you kind of are able to go experience those motions and those resolution through horror. And there's like some really interesting academic papers on how horror helps people deal with trauma, especially as we see it around us. I will end this sort of part of the conversation with one interesting note. Uh, when the lockdown happened, the number one request we started getting was, can you add more pandemic movies to Shudder? Because people want to be able to go through these experiences sort of virtually and come out the other side of them and you know be left with closure and feeling good about themselves in a way that kind of helps them get through what's happening to the world now. So, so you mentioned there that viewers have been particularly interested in pandemic-themed uh, content since COVID, which isn't a massive surprise. But how has that been since the p- pandemic has progressed? Is that still the same now as it was a few months ago, say back in March when the pandemic first hit? Or has that changed slightly in the months since? You know, the only thing that's changed is they don't, spe- no one is specifically requesting pandemic programming anymore. But they are, there is a, certainly a heightened interest in all of our programming. This October was by far our biggest October in Shutter history. October, as you might imagine, is always a huge month for Shutter. But this would sort of be like take huge and multiply it by four. And that's how our year was this year in October. So we, we've never seen a stronger demand for films. The only thing that's really died down is specific requests for pandemic programming. As you might know, we have a, a Zoom-based horror movie called Host uh, that did phenomenally well. And, you know, there, there were sort of two types of people about who had thoughts about a Zoom-based horror movie. Or I, I should say, everybody had two thoughts. One, I don't think I really want to watch a Zoom-based horror movie. And then two, oh, I did watch it and oh my God, that was just what I needed. This really helps me... <laughs> cope with the fact that I'm on these Zoom meetings all day. So we've seen a little less pandemic and a little more interest in sort of virtual or Zoom-based horror. We've also, by the way, been pitched a ton of Zoom-based horror. Have you? Okay. And is that something that, that, that you're still interested in? Our, our our benchmark for whether we do something or not is is never, you know, is this a type of thing that, you know, is sort of hot right now? Is, is this a thing that's really good? So we would absolutely do more Zoom-based horror if it's outstanding or great. And we probably wouldn't do it if it was just okay. So we're not not interested in Zoom-based horror, but we're not pursuing it either. What we really do is just look for the best films of whatever type they are. 
Okay. And then from a business perspective, how have things been since COVID? Have you experienced an increased number of subscriptions? Do you have any numbers you can provide? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest number we were able to provide earlier this year is Shutter past a million paid subscribers, which is a huge milestone in, in the life of any SVOD service. We don't give out uh, numbers on a regular basis. I will say our growth has continued to be tremendous, well ahead of all of our projections. And we actually stopped and reprojected our numbers to higher you know, a higher baseline and then exceeded those projections. So our revised projections are even being exceeded. So we, we've seen nothing but interest in SVODs grow. And in particular, Shutter, I think, is is having probably one of the biggest growth spurts of any of the SVODs out there. We, uh, we were able to expand into Australia and New Zealand, uh, which became great growth areas. And we're seeing growth all around the world. So we're seeing growth in the US, which is where we're the biggest, but also in the UK and also Australia, New Zealand and Canada, where we are. And, and do you think that the influx of streaming services we've seen over the last few years, Shudder included, but as well all of the, the bigger major players like Netflix, Amazon, so on, have boosted demand for horror and sci-fi content as well? It's hard for me to judge sci-fi, right? Because we're probably, we're, you know, we focus on horror and the supernatural. You know, anecdotally, sci-fi is always kind of all over the map. You know, you have like CBS All Access came along and has several versions of Star Trek. Star Trek is always popular. You know, you saw Disney Plus come and do the Mandalorians with uh, the Mandalorian which has been fantastic for them. Uh, I think it's probably more because it's a Star Wars property than because it's a genre property. Like Star Wars is kind of a genre unto itself at this point, same with Star Trek. So it's tough to say from the sci-fi side. I definitely think you've seen a lot more interest in horror across the board. You know, uh, you've seen Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, you know, up their horror game. But really what they're doing is, I think, a more limited version. So if you want one or two things to watch that are in the horror space, you'll probably be fine with like a Netflix, a Hulu or an Amazon. If you want something more, then you want to go into, you know, you want to add on something like Shudder, right? So I think they're all exploring horror and expanding horror and their genre and what it can be a little bit. But also I think that, you know, it's just one tiny part of all the things that they do. So the general services like Netflix have more horror, but still a limited amount, if that makes sense. And how do you foresee the future of horror post-COVID? Some broadcasters and production companies have been saying that viewers are now seeking more light-hearted escapist content that will keep them in a, in a brighter mood, I guess, amid the real-life tragedy of coronavirus. So what place do you think darker shows will have going forward? Yeah, you know, I don't think I really agree with that. I think consumers and, and viewers want all kinds of things. And what they really want is good things and new things and interesting things. I think there's never been a better time to be a horror creator than now, because people are really able to explore the genre in a way that it hasn't been explored before. And push the boundaries. You know, I'll go back to uh, Host for just a second. You know, Host was a movie when they pitched us. Um, it was based on a two-minute viral short that the director Rob Savage had done, and they knew going in that it wasn't going to be a full-length movie. And we said we're fine with that. We don't need a full-length movie. We just need something that's great at whatever time you know limit it is. So now Host, you have it's a 57-minute movie, and it actually sparked a sort of side conversation around well, do movies need to be a minimum of 90 minutes, which is what most people generally think. Or can we actually just have 57, 60-minute movies? And I think what you're seeing is people are really able to explore the genre and the medium of TV and film in a different way because people are more accepting of all these things. 
So for me, the, the future of horror is not only bright, but there's great things to come. You know, we have a lot of things that we haven't announced yet that are in the works, really outstanding things coming for everybody that I think they're really going to enjoy. And also in Shudder's case, we've actually seen a huge increase in content that's about the genre. So we have a show called Cursed Films, which explores the myths and legends around these legendary horror films that are considered cursed, uh, like The Exorcist or The Omen, where tragedies happened. And, you know, people sort of say, well, did that happen? Because, you know, they're making a horror movie and bad things happen because it's the horror genre. And we've seen a tremendous increase in people wanting to see content about the horror genre, not just set within a fictional world and, and horror. So I think the future for horror is bright. I think there's not going to be any slowdown in the appetite for it. And I think you're going to see it grow. It's the show that you just mentioned. Is that a series? Yes. It's called Cursed Films. It's a five-part series. Each episode focuses on a movie that is considered, you know, quote unquote, cursed. We had an incredibly successful season one, and they're actually making season two now. Okay. You've mentioned a few of Shudder's titles during the course of this conversation. Which of the series in particular have, have been the most standout for you, would you say? Yeah, our biggest series by far is Creepshow. Creepshow is that anthology series I was talking about before. Creepshow is actually based on a beloved movie franchise. The first Creepshow movie was directed by George Romero, one of the absolute biggest horror directors of all time. And on the screenplay, there were five sort of short stories within the movie. They were all originally written by Stephen King. So you have this, you know, legacy of Stephen King and George Romero, two of the greatest creators in the horror genre in the history of horror, uh, made this beloved movie. There was a couple sequel movies and then uh, no one was making movies anymore. We are actually continuing the movies as a TV series. It premiered last year with six episodes. It was a huge success for us. It actually later aired on the linear AMC channel. It was a big success for them. And we're making season two now. And we've already greenlit scripts for season three. So that's been a huge show for us. Cursed Films was another huge show for us. We thought it would be big, but it was far bigger than we thought it would be. So those would probably be the two biggest ones. On the movie side, Host is you know being called This Generation's Blair Witch Project. So that's pretty good. It's been called the scariest movie of the year, the best movie of the year. Uh, so those are all things we love. We also had a movie called The Mortuary Collection, uh, which starred Clancy Brown. You might remember him probably most famously as the prison guard from Shawshank Redemption, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, he plays a mortician who uh, basically tells the stories of the dead people that pass through his mortuary. It's it's fantastic. Um, we had a movie called Scare Me, which has Josh Rubin and Aya Cash uh, in a cabin in the snowy woods telling each other scary stories. Uh, has been a big one for us. And also back when the uh, pandemic first, you know, everyone went uh, first went into lockdown, we had two movies that did super well for us. One was called The Room. It's it's a great story about a house. This couple buys this house and there's a room and it grants them wishes. But there's, of course, a big, you know, be careful what you wish for component to it. And then we had a movie called Blood Quantum, uh, which was very timely. It was about a zombie apocalypse that happened. Um, however, the First Nations tribe up in Canada is immune from the zombie virus. So that raised whole questions of who should they let in? you know, how do you treat people who are immune versus not immune, which is very timely when you consider what's going on with COVID. Okay, and, and what else is in Shudder's pipeline for the next year? Is there anything new that you can talk about? Well, we just announced 
Slasher, which was a series that had been previously on Netflix and was canceled, we picked it up and David Cronenberg is going to be starring in Slasher. So that will be a big new series for us. Creepshow will be returning with the season two. Cursed Films will be returning with the season two. We have a couple big announcements that we can't talk about yet, but that are coming up. Also, some of the biggest movies we've ever done in our history, as well as in the UK, it, particularly, we, we, we haven't announced these yet, but we're actually for our UK audience only, we're picking up some films that are very big films uh, that will be uh, on the service next year, and we'll announce them as soon as we can. But I think our members are going to be super excited. Uh, when we can't get uh, a big film in all of our territories, we try to get something else in that territory to sort of fill the gap. And I will tell you, next year will by far be our biggest year for our original productions. We're going to be announcing more series and original movies, which we haven't, we, we've had original movies, but they haven't been original totally that originated from us from you know sort of conception to to making on the screen other than things like host so we're going to have more original movies and series next year than we've ever had the other thing i will say about creep show is creep show season two is amazing so it is you know creep show season one was a huge hit for us greg nicotero who's the showrunner and executive producer and directs uh, many of the segments uh who is also the executive producer and director on the walking dead has outdone himself for season two it's the the episode are bigger and better than season one, and season one was very well received. Craig Engler, talking to Karolina Kaminska. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name is Jonathan Weddale. Thanks for listening. <laughs>